Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Well, hi there. Welcome back to the Loving Liberty broadcast and podcast. Very happy that you could join me today. Do we live in the most interesting times that any of us can remember? I know that I'm asking a rhetorical question, but I'm, I'm sure that yes is the reply that has smartly leaped to a number of lips across uh, our vast listening audience. It's, it's an incredible time, and, and I, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that there, every single day, I just, I just shake my head in disbelief and, and in amazement at how quickly things can change. And maybe that makes me naive. I don't know. Maybe some of you saw this and you're like, well, come on, Brian. We knew this was coming for a long time, but um, I, I've never seen such a dramatic shift. And, and I don't, here's, the, here's the balance that I'm trying to strike. Can I just get this off my chest and just I, I want to confess to you that the hardest thing for me is I want to speak the truth as I best understand it. The difficult part is I don't want to be a bringer of doom and gloom. And, and the, the place where I'm struggling to strike a balance, and frankly, I'm, I'm feeling kind of frayed around the edges in, in doing this, is the truth that needs to be spoken right now is not a soft, comforting, easy-on-your-ears kind of truth that, you know, makes you feel good and, you know, invigorates you and makes you feel like, wow, you know, just uh, that, was, that was like cotton candy. There are some hard truths that need to be faced. I want to share with you a couple of statistics. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday, and he is one who loves to dig in and get the information. You know, he's willing to do his own homework. He's not just somebody who's going to take, you know, someone's word. He likes to do the digging himself. And, and he provided me with, uh, with various uh, charts and graphs to back up what he was saying. I want to share a couple of things that he said. He started with, uh, he, this, this is the part that blows me away. He started with just a, a very simple statistic about March 20th through the 26th, movie ticket sales for last year. So for this one week period last year, the box office revenues were $204 million, $193,406. So 204, 193, $406 million. That was for last year at this time. Care to guess what the box office receipts were for last week? $5,179. That thing is down well over 99.9%. And then he sent me some stats, and I'm sure you've been hearing about these, the weekly jobless claims. Used to be that the record was 695,000 jobless claims in one week. That was the record. That was set back in the mid-1980s. But we shattered that record two weeks ago when three million people filed unemployment. But we broke that record again by a long shot just last week with 6.6 million. And, and he has the graph to, to, to back this up. This is the part that's so amazing. It's literally off the charts. You hear people say, why, well, it's off the charts. I'm, I'm literally looking at a graph, and it goes off the charts. His point here is that anybody who thinks that we have a V-taper recovery shouldn't be too shocked when the recovery comes, but now, you know, bread costs a buck more a loaf or milk costs a buck more a gallon. Restaurant surveys, he says, um, say that 3% of the owners have already closed their doors forever. 
The same surveys show that restaurant business is down 57% for the same period from last year. Bars are down 47%. Now, if you know someone who is in the restaurant or bar business, you'll know they operate on a very small margin as it is. But so few of us really have have an idea of what's going on, unless unless you're one of those people who's actually operating one of these businesses. And and my job here, my goal is not to discourage you or make you feel like you should be looking for a length of rope and a short stool. No, it's just we need to acknowledge the reality, which is everything that remains when we wish that it were otherwise, and and understand that um, things have shifted. We need to be mentally prepared to. Uh, to pick up the pieces and move forward, which, by the way, we are very capable of doing this. So in taking a hard look at the realities that are out there, I, my goal is not to leave you feeling despondent, although I'll confess it's it's hard for me too. I look at this and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I wish this weren't the case, but it is. And I would rather know than just, you know, put my head in the sand and pretend that it's not so. My friend also sent me a list of names and these are big Wall Street names. We're talking uh, Bloomberg Economics, UBS, uh, Pantheon, Strategis, Cornerstone Macro, Oxford Economics, Citigroup, Credit Suisse, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Deutsche Bank, Wells Fargo. Uh, there's there's a, a bunch of others. These are these are not just the biggest. Some of the biggest names. These are the biggest names on Wall Street. The most robust robust outlook for the next quarter is negative 9%. Some of them are looking at their GDP dropping 40%. Bottom line is even the most savvy people on Wall Street have no idea what kind of havoc is going to be wrought on the economy. Now again, this is this is not this is not to make you feel like you're helpless. It's just simply to point out that the idea that government will run ride to the rescue and will print enough money and somehow, you know, they're going to make it work. I don't think that's going to be an option in this case. And there's one there's one uh, graph that he sent me here that he said, fasten your seatbelts. And it's a graph showing uh, the CBOs take compacted with not only those Wall Street firms, but against past data. I don't understand what that all means, but he says, look at the chart. And he says, you see those tiny red bars? And that's that's the downturn. Um, there's there's a bunch of green graphs that are going upward. There's, there's a handful of tiny ones. That was the Great Depression. I'm sorry, that was the Great Recession, rather. Uh, the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression. The upcoming projected bar is at least 10 times bigger in terms of economic decline. So what are you going to do about it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just telling you that uh, this is not the kind of thing that we can just wish away or we can ignore away. I don't think we can uh, you know, hand it off to government and tell them, you fix this. At some point, you're going to have to step up and take responsibility. And, and I'm going to suggest that... Uh, Whatever you can do to better your own self-reliance, including planting a garden, including um, just having skills, having tools, having uh, physical, tangible commodities on hand, be that food storage, etc., is probably going to be a very good idea. 
I'm not saying panic. I'm just saying you should be thinking these things through. One last statistic here. My friend asks, remember when the Fed started quantitative easing back in 2008 when it held about $800 billion in assets? He says at its height, it held around $4.5 trillion from about 2014 to 2017 and then started to unwind its holdings and for below $4 trillion. But he says, look now, just like that, they're at $6 trillion, up $2 trillion in three months. He says records are made to be broken. And if you listen to what they're talking about in terms of the, the governmental leaders, Congress and so forth, well, we've got to get these stimulus bills out there and we've got to get this passed. They're throwing around trillions of dollars in a very casual way. Well, maybe not casual. I mean, they're a little bit panicked, but oh, we've got to, well, what's a couple trillion here, a couple trillion there. There was a time when, when the word trillion in terms of spending was enough to make people wet their pants. No more. Now we're being told, oh, yeah, well, you know, we've, it's, it's a paraphrase of the old saying. Yeah, a few trillion here, a few trillion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. Well, folks, we haven't had real money for a while. At least we haven't had real sound currency for a while. Maybe one of the bright spots is uh, we're going to see things uh, turn around. And from this, a sound currency is going to come, come into play. In sharing these statistics with you, all I'm asking you to consider is... We may be in for a longer term, more difficult ride than many have anticipated. And that means you and I are going to have to be brave. We are going to have to be, we're going to have to be tough. I think about the people who came out here and settled the area in which I live. The pioneers who crossed the plains. They did so knowing that they were going to face Hostile Indians, perhaps. They were going to face difficult weather conditions, treacherous terrain, disease, hunger, all of those risks. And they still did it because they understood it would be worth it on the other side of that journey. And what I'm going to suggest is we are not the snowflakes that we've been led to believe that we are. We are capable of doing very difficult things as well. Steal yourself. Because I believe the time is upon us where we're being called upon to do tough things. The good news is we are Americans. We can do this with God's help. We can turn this all around, but it's going to take time and it's going to take effort. And the bottom line is every one of us is going to feel some pain. We'll be back after these messages. Hey, welcome back. This is Loving Liberty. Let's dive into another topic here and let's talk about uh, what we are seeing happen all around us. Now, Donald Jeffries writing, uh, this was published on uh, LouRockwell.com. Um, I think it was originally published on uh, Keeping It Unreal, talks about the medically induced police state. And I don't use words like police state lightly. Um, listen to how he puts this. Donald Jeffries says, I've long feared a police state, not the figurative one we've been letting develop for years now. He says, I mean a literal one where they can stop you for any reason and ask you for your papers, where they can restrict your movements and your associations, where they can confine you to your homes. Now, he says, unfortunately, 
Yesterday, that became a reality for him and all other Virginians. Mayor Ralph Blackface Northam signed an executive order that essentially locks his state down. Police can stop any motorist and ask where they are going. If they aren't going to a doctor or to the store, they can be charged with a misdemeanor. For now. And those essential personnel who are still working have been given papers. So yes, show me your papers is finally here in the land of the free. He says in the course of just a few weeks, America and most of the world has been subjected to a power play that rivals anything George Orwell could have dreamed up. Whole countries locked down, people quarantined who have no illness, people restricted to their houses, social distancing mandating that people stay six feet apart from one another, the closing down of virtually all businesses, no more going to the movies or restaurants or casinos or concerts, professional sports leagues, even the NCAA's lucrative March Madness basketball tournament have been canceled. All schools have been closed indefinitely. And Donald Jeffrey says, so surely all these draconian, unprecedented moves indicate that something really dangerous is going on, right? Well, instead, the world has basically come to a standstill over a virus strain, which has not even conclusively been proven to exist, that has killed a fraction of what the common flu kills every year in this country and around the world. Now, maybe you didn't know this, but he points out the coronavirus has been around for decades. Look at the back of your can of Lysol. You will see it informs you that, among, that their product protects you from human coronavirus, among other things. Many of us have strongly suspected that the cases of simple coronavirus have been lumped in with those purporting to be COVID-19, the dastardly strain in question, which all the best and brightest experts inform us could spread across the world like wildfire. Well, he says the primary source for all the fear porn, which has been emanating from our putrid state-run media for weeks, came from UK epidemiologist Neil Ferguson, who issued a dire warning that 2.2 million could die from COVID-19 in the United States alone. Now, without quite the attention given his initial predictions by the hysterical media, Ferguson quietly acknowledged last week that his numbers were wrong, very, very wrong. His weak admission that perhaps 20,000 could die was not very convincing. And a pair of Stanford professors of medicine followed that up by saying the predictions of fatalities may be too high by orders of magnitude. But instead of responding reasonably to these indications that those who initiated the alarmist talk from our journalists and politicians were utterly wrong, our leaders have doubled down on the heavy-handed, unwarranted response. Rather, Many states like Virginia have gone into lockdown mode. And he points out it's akin to martial law without any visible troops in the streets. Given the lack of opposition to this authoritarianism, they haven't needed any. Without firing a shot, as the saying goes. Citizen journalists have posted myriad videos on YouTube, which depict not the overwhelmed hospitals that are literally bursting at the seams with corpses, but instead largely empty facilities. Jason Goodman has been filming around hospitals in New York City, the alleged epicenter of the alleged epidemic, and it has to be seen to be believed. Idle ambulances everywhere. Disinterested EMT workers and hospital employees, many of them not wearing masks. Police harassing him from filming on a public street. And Donald Jeffrey says, I have a friend who lives in New York City, and he just called me this morning to report how non-busy the biggest hospital in Brooklyn looked. The point here is something very strange is going on here. 
Meanwhile, Colleen Smith, a doctor who specializes in medical simulation, whatever that is, violated every HIPAA regulation imaginable when she filmed inside an ICU at New York City's Elmhurst Hospital. Dr. Smith complained about a lack of equipment and resources, the same establishment mantra we've heard time and time again from establishment sources, which is invariably blamed on hapless Donald Trump. Her video was published by the New York Times. Well, the same day she was filming inside, Elmhurst Hospital was videotaped outside by a citizen journalist. You guessed it. It resembled a ghost town. Jeffrey says, as I've made clear to so many people who are parroting the mainstream line, people are dying. Yes, people are dying. They do every day. As Bob Dylan, also back in the news this week with a better late than never song about the JFK assassination truth, once said, he not busy being born is busy dying. The question is, what are the people whose deaths the state controlled media is fixated upon dying from? How many of these deaths are actually from underlying causes like diabetes or pneumonia? or less frightening strains of virus like the regular flu or the generic coronavirus. Jeffrey says there were many disquieting indications that the wild overreaction to this is a hoax, even if the virus is not. The photograph of ominous rows of coffins supposedly emanating out of Italy, which allegedly has been hit so hard by COVID-19, which was proven to be from another country, taken years earlier, the picture of the coffins. The Italian reports that 99% of the fatalities attributed to this virus came from other pathologies. The story in early February out of China that the Chinese were including deaths from pneumonia along with the scary COVID-19 cases. And Jeffrey says it's no exaggeration to say that considering the draconian response, those in charge have a tremendous vested interest in significantly increasing the numbers. Both the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control were caught lying about the same thing in 2009. They falsely inflated swine flu figures. Cheryl Atkinson lost her job with CBS for exposing the CDC. No investigative journalism is allowed in this country outside of amateurs on the Internet. The CDC and World Health Organization are front and center here, along with our perpetually dishonest politicians and laughable lapdog establishment press. They are the ones selling this narrative. Why would any intelligent person believe them? He says, I've been lied to my entire life by the most powerful authority figures. And Jeffrey says he worked for the medical industrial complex for 44 years until being fired two years ago for helping a handicapped worker. Yes, he says, you read that right. That's the chance you take in a right to work state. It gives them a right to fire you for no reason. Our health care system is hopelessly inefficient. And it's just as corrupt as any other part of America 2.0. The medical profession itself is the third leading cause of death in this country. So when you enter a hospital, you take your life in your hands. So he says, excuse me for not trusting the white coats issuing all those dire pronouncements. Now, Donald Jeffrey says in Virginia, our unofficial martial law is in effect until June 10th. And I'm going to point out again, that's the day after the Republican primary. What a. What a coincidence. Just imagine, he says, how many businesses will never reopen after being closed for nearly three months? How many employees will be laid off and be left to deal with the ever-increasing cost of living with their $1,200 checks that constituted the trickle-down droppings from the $5.5 trillion stimulus package 
which Ron Paul called a massive transfer of wealth from the middle class to the elite. Picture the massive unemployment claims, somehow paid for by, by payroll taxes, which are not going to be collected from all those unemployed workers who are no longer paying them. And still we haven't heard a peep of protest from anyone with a large public platform. Not a single corporate leader whose dedication to capitalism compels him to protest the literal shutdown of almost all commerce. There's a stunning uniformity of opinion on this massive overhaul of our society, which happened in the blink of an eye. And he says only naysayers like me, with the voices we have on the Internet, are pointing out how shockingly wrong all of this is. We'll be back. This is Loving Liberty. Hey, once again, we are back. This is Loving Liberty. I'm sharing with you an article by Donald Jeffries, The Medically Induced Police State. And and I understand not everybody is going to want to agree with this. Not everybody, you know, even people who are looking for a reason to say something's wrong and I'm not sure what it is are going to look at this and go, but it can't be that. Because there's some pretty hard truth here. And I guess if there was a theme for today's show, it's that uh, the Church of Painful Truth is in session. Donald Jeffrey says America, even as it existed in its watered down, often embarrassing form a month ago, is gone. He says once our leaders have demonstrated that they can institute such authoritarian restrictions on the populace with virtually no resistance, it is a certainty they will do it again. Expect to see the kind of ridiculous color-coded terror threat warnings we saw after 9-11. When unquestioned authorities declare that we're at code red... In terms of a new viral threat, America will just go back into lockdown mode, and Americans will be used to it. He says, helping to sell this narrative has been an astonishing number of celebrities. The virus is evidently predisposed to attack famous people who've shown unswerving devotion to the deep state. He says it was entirely predictable that the likes of Tom Hanks, Greta Thunberg, Prince Charles, and Chris Como would test positive. For the coronavirus, as it is worded in celebrity cases, not for COVID-19. Now, this could be the lazy, unintentional intermingling of a generic term for the deadly strain that has stopped the world. Or it could be an admission that they are technically telling the truth. The tests can only determine whether one has coronavirus, not any particular strain of it. But he says there is a huge difference between the two terms. Testing positive for the generic coronavirus is no big deal. It could just be a common cold or an indication someone is a carrier with no symptoms at all. If everyone in past years had been frightened by fear porn into getting tested for any sniffle, who knows how many people might have been positive. They have somehow convinced most of the public that this virus strain is potentially far more deadly than anything since the bubonic plague, despite numbers that remain a fraction of what we see every flu season. Even with the most severe flu seasons, he says nothing has ever been closed or canceled, and certainly there was never any kind of lockdown. This has all been sold to the public on the basis of protecting us. After all, our leaders care about us, right? <laughs> they have only our best interests at heart. And what's more terrifying to anyone than the state of their health? None of us want to put our loved ones' lives in danger, and so we become more compliant than normal. 
Now, he says Ben Franklin wisely warned those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And Donald Jeffrey says, considering the continuous fear porn coming from our leaders, few of us probably feel safe. And their totalitarian response to an invisible enemy should make all of us feel demonstrably less free. Amazing. And I think he's dead on. Have you noticed how the the narrative has been framed in terms of if you don't acquiesce and obey what government officials are saying, you are the bad person. You are a threat. You are an enemy of the state. And this is why this snitch society is, is being encouraged. It's the right thing to do. Shut down and censor the people who are questioning this narrative. Shut down the people who are, are calling into question these authoritarian responses. Look away, citizen. Don't listen to that person over there telling you, hey, these shackles are getting tighter. All right, switching gears. David Hathaway has another very thought-provoking column, this too on LewRockwell.com. What are essential services? I think we're all going to have a better understanding, but not in the sense that we hear that word being used. David Hathaway says Arizona Governor Doug Ducey recently issued an executive order requiring residents to stay home. The governor said that only businesses providing essential services could remain open. And when hit with a barrage of questions, he told Arizonans not to worry because grocery stores and pharmacies would remain open and their employees would be allowed to leave their homes and go to work. Now, he says, as I considered what an essential service is in the free market, I was reminded of Leonard Reed's brilliant essay, I Pencil. And by the way, if you haven't read this yet, you really need to, because it will be very eye-opening as to how commerce actually works. In this case, David Hathaway explains, as Mr. Reed pointed out, even the production of a simple pencil is beyond the capabilities of one person or firm to plan and implement. It requires an incredibly complex market coordination of land, labor, and capital. A pencil requires graphite and iron miners, trucks, rubber for the tires for the trucks, rubber plantations, workers at the rubber plantations, paint producers, lumberjacks, sawmills, employees for the operation of the sawmills, and for all the associated factories, tool manufacturers to make the tools used in the various associated industries, and maintenance personnel to keep all the facilities running. And there's also a myriad of ancillary industries that produce and provide a huge number of items used in the various businesses that produce components in the higher orders of production to make the pencil. Things like ink, paper, clothing for the workers, and oil pumping and refinery equipment to keep fuel flowing to all the associated vehicles and industries. The interconnected web of cooperating firms and individuals is almost infinite. And the point here is if producing a pencil is complicated and requires the complex coordination and invisible hand of the free market that is well beyond the planning capabilities of any person or any firm, we can only imagine the exponential level of complexity needed to keep a Walmart store open. If a Walmart store is considered to be providing an essential service and is allowed to stay open in a stay-at-home state, how can it possibly do so? without the invisible market cooperation of an unfathomable uh, unfathomable number of actors, each being influenced individually by price signals. 
Can a Walmart store stay open without wholesalers and producers? Can the producers stay in business without other producers of subcomponents? Can the subcomponents be produced without raw material producers? Can meat make it to a Walmart if the rancher and farmer have to stay home and can't drive around to various properties and check on water and feed sources for his animals? Can the farmer take care of his farm if his tractor is broken and needs maintenance from the mechanic? Has the mechanic ever been deemed essential? Does the farmer or the mechanic need a special waiver from the governor? What about the roving livestock wranglers, fruit pickers, and pump maintenance workers that are needed by the, life, by the rancher rather, or farmer on irregular schedules? What if the farmer or truck driver has broken his glasses? Can he go to his eye doctor? If the eye doctor can stay open, can the glasses producer go to work to make glasses for the truck driver or the farmer? If the farmer's cell phone breaks and he can't communicate with the meat buyer or meat or feed producer, will the cell phone store be designated an essential service and remain open to sell him a new one? Can billboard companies operate so the public can know which facilities are open and providing services in the midst of the closure order? Can graphics designers produce the signs for the billboard companies? Can newspaper employees drive to work and drive around town to take pictures so the public can stay informed? Are the banks an essential service to provide physical cash for those that want it and need it? Can a Walmart store arrange for its garbage and waste to be hauled off? What about the contractor that keeps the freezers and refrigerators running at Walmart? Is he essential? What about the producer and supplier that, rep- that, su- that provides refrigerant to the freezer maintenance contractor? Is he essential? David Hathaway says, I was told by a police officer that people would be pulled over and told to go home if they weren't on their way to buy groceries. He says, I don't know what the charge would be if the driver refused to go home since the current legislature hasn't defined a law that's being broken. Current political actions definitely run contrary to the trite John Adams quote, we are a government of laws, not of men. David Hathaway says, besides Mr. Reed's great essay, the situation brings to mind Henry Hazlitt's little book, Economics in One Lesson. The one lesson being that politicians will cause harm when they make mandates because they can only consider the effects on a small part of the overall economy. There will be broad ramifications and unintended consequences throughout the economy whenever an activity is expanded or restricted through political action. In short, central planning can never work because it can never consider the full interrelation of all aspects of the economy. Central planners can only consider specific hoped-for outcomes on limited segments of the economy when making decisions. And so he says, I don't see how this magical candy land enabled by court intellectuals and run by executive branch authoritarians is going to be managed through central planning. Next thing, prices will go up. Gouging will be alleged. More central planning will be needed to control prices. We're also being told to work at home. Wow, what a deal. We will stay at home and produce nothing except for Internet data shooting back and forth, and all the stuff will magically get produced and the shelves will get stocked. Why didn't we think of this sooner? Essential services. What a nifty idea. Let's all take a vacation or better yet, retire. The government's got this under control. (laughs) Well said, David Hathaway. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back right after these messages.
All right, we are back, and once again, welcome to the Loving Liberty broadcast and podcast. Please hold your calls until the next hour. We'll open up the phone lines at that time. All right, a couple different things in this final segment of this hour. Uh, One of the good things that has come out of the current crisis that we are seeing is that we have seen a litany of useless laws exposed by the coronavirus. Great article here from Charles Blaine on the Foundation for Economic Education's website. And he talks about the ability for authorities to step in and suspend certain laws without fear of endangering the public. It opens the door to questioning whether these laws actually had a good purpose in the first place. He says, from the start of the COVID-19 outbreak in the U.S., state and local governments responded in various ways from issuing emergency orders, citywide shutdowns to school closures and beyond. But it's the suspension of various laws and regulations that's exposing the unnecessary, unnecessary regulatory web that burdens businesses. As often happens during emergencies, governors and mayors across the country have used executive power to waive laws and to bypass regulations. This allows goods to get to the public at quick, quicker and at lower cost, more service providers to enter struggling industries, and for the market to respond to the crisis in countless other ways. But he says lifting these regulations doesn't put public health or safety in jeopardy. If that were the case, they wouldn't be lifted with such ease, right? But this should lead the public to question why these regulatory burdens exist at all. So a couple of examples here. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott waived oversize and overweight restrictions for commercial trucks and suspended requirements to register under the International Registration Plan or to obtain temporary registration as long as the truck is registered in one U.S. state. Governor Abbott also waived regulations allowing doctors to receive the same payment for over-the-phone telemedicine visits that they would for in-person visits for patients on state-regulated insurance plans. Most notably, he waived state laws that prohibit alcohol industry trucks from delivering supplies to grocery stores, saying by removing these regulations, we are streamlining the process to replenish the shelves in grocery stores across the state. Now, all of these moves allowed for the market to identify the needs of the public and fill them as quickly as possible. In Boston, for instance, restaurants typically need a specific permit to provide carryout service. Mayor Marty Walsh lifted that requirement to allow for every restaurant to offer the service. Even New York City suspended its enforcement of illegal e-bikes during the crisis to accommodate for the influx of delivery orders, and the state also moved to allow liquor to go. Now, due to the increased demand of the, and, and ability for the supply chain to keep up with that demand, supermarket companies like HEB, Kroger, and Randall's announced that they'd be hiring thousands of additional staff. The newfound flexibility on trucking regulations means grocers like HEB are employing 1,300 trucks a day to continuously supply their stores. In New Jersey, Bayonne ended enforcement of, re, of expired resident and driveway parking permits, They also suspended issuing permits for what they consider minor work, things like plumbing, electrical, mechanical, fire, and building. As long as contractors alert the city of the work they intend to do, the city says, yeah, 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 we'll inspect that at a later date. So the point here is the ability to suspend these laws without fear of endangering the public has opened the door to questioning their purpose. Because many of these regulations appear to serve as no more than impediments to free exchange. And if these measures exist simply to generate additional government uh, revenue, the public needs to ask themselves, once the crisis has abated, why should they exist at all? 
I'm sure that's not the reason that uh, that's not something that authorities would want to uh, to see us questioning. But I still think it's a very legit question. Kudos. Hopefully we all learn something from this. Like maybe we can get by with a little less government than we originally thought. All right. Here's something fascinating that uh, just adds to the mystique of everything that's going on. Let's see. What have we had so far this year? The list is getting a little bit long, but let's see. We were on the brink of World War III about three days into the new year with the uh, U.S. government's assassination of a top Iranian general who was in Iraq with official permission. Okay, all of that aside, we got through that. We got through the impeachment. We got through uh, the first part of COVID-19. We've had earthquakes, at least here in, in Utah and Idaho within the last couple of weeks, big earthquakes. You know what would be neat? You know what would be really great now? How about a comet five times the size of Jupiter lighting up our night skies this month as it passes by the Earth? Well, here it comes. This comet was discovered on December 28th, 2019 in the area of Ursa Major. It's currently in Moore's orbit, but it's on its way toward the sun. It is getting brighter, and if it doesn't break up, it'll reach its closest point to the sun by the end of May. But when we talk about a big comet, we are talking about one that is five times the size of Jupiter. It is roughly half the size of the sun. Now, there's an important distinction here, because when I first heard that, I was like, holy cow... That is the most massive planet ever. But no, we're talking about a comet. So the exact size of the icy core, the rocky icy core of the comet, isn't really known. It's likely just a few miles across. But it's the atmosphere, the bubble that it brings with it, which is seriously like 447,000 miles in diameter. Half the size of the sun. Massive. And it's currently close to Mars orbit, but increasing in speed as it makes its way toward the sun. And it will make its closest approach to the Earth sometime this month. Now, when it gets towards the inner solar system, it will become one of the brightest objects in the night sky and potentially the comet of a generation. Since it was first discovered in December, the article here says the gaseous envelope surrounding the comet has ballooned in diameter to a staggering 447,387 miles. Let's put that in contrast. The sun's diameter, 865,370 miles. Jupiter's diameter, 86,881 miles. You ready to feel small? Earth's diameter is just 7,917 miles. Now, here's the good news. The comet poses no danger to Earth, even at its closest point. It'll be more than 72 million miles away from the planet, but it will be very bright. And it has a tail about the same size as its atmosphere. That's according to Michael Yeager from Austria, who captured images of the subject, or of the object, rather. According to a report by Space Weather Archive, It's not unusual for a comet to grow so large that they spew prodigious amounts of gas and dust into space. Comet 17PC, or I'm sorry, Comet 17P Holmes partially exploded and for a while had an atmosphere even larger than the sun, according to the astronomy website. The Great Comet of 1811 also had a sun-sized comma. Now, whether this comet, which they're referring to as Atlas, will eventually rival those behemoths of the past, still remains to be seen. 
It was discovered by the Asteroid Terrestrial Impact Last Alert System, or ATLAS, in Hawaii, and that's where it takes its name, is from the initials of the system. Some of you will remember the last bright comet visible without a telescope in the northern hemisphere was Hale-Bopp, which passed by us in 1997. So that's making this a pretty rare event for astronomers. I can still remember I was walking to work pretty much every morning in those days. And I remember going in at, you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and seeing that Hale-Bopp comet. And it was very interesting because you could, you could see the glow, but you couldn't really see the tail unless you looked away from it and let your peripheral vision pick up on it. And then it was clear as could be. So I want to kind of get out there and uh, uh, do some uh, looking at the nighttime sky. The article here says when this uh, Atlas comet was discovered on December 28th in 2019, it was faint. It actually required a telescope. But now it's, it's, it's getting closer, it's getting brighter, and it can be seen with binoculars. Its glow will be amplified by the sun as it gets closer. It's already brighter than astronomers expected it to be at this point. Daniel Brown is an astronomy expert at Nottingham Trent University. He said, it's definitely a promising comet. It's pushing towards a level that by the end of April could look really, really stunning. And by the way, Atlas is currently the largest green object in the solar system. It's color coming from the diatomic carbon. That's a molecule commonly found in comets. It emits a beautiful green glow when in gas form in the near vacuum of space. And it has a 4,000-fold increase in brightness just since it was first discovered, which means it could be visible to the naked eye by the end of April. So I don't know if you're the kind of person who believes in signs of the times. I know there there are a lot of people, myself included, who are uh, looking around and going, you know, the whole end times prophecies and things that uh, those who believe in the Bible, those who believe in the literal second coming of Jesus Christ, you know, um, is this one of those signs in the heavens for which we should be watching? I don't know the answer to that, but I guarantee you, if you uh, if you are in my neighborhood, you will see me at some point standing out there either with or without binoculars trying to get a peek at this uh, massive comet that apparently is going to be lighting up our skies sooner than later. At least we have something pretty to look at as the world crumbles around us, right? This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back for another hour after these messages.